Go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to Acts chapter number 15. Acts chapter 15. And over the, the past several weeks or months, I guess maybe, uh, we have been following the, the progression of the first century church. We are seeing it growing from the day of Pentecost uh, and going throughout uh, all lands and all regions. And we said that uh, really, rather than the Acts of the Apostles, this is the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, that those men that God used in the first century were common men. They were ordinary men. There was nothing, uh, nothing terribly special about them except for the one that they had uh, dwelling within them except for the Holy Spirit that they were relying on and that was empowering them. And over and over, we've seen uh, God doing incredible things through these ordinary people. We've seen them face difficulties. We've seen them uh, face hardships and persecutions and different things. Uh, we've seen there was risks of uh, division and fracturing amongst the, the early church from the very beginning. Uh, Satan was never happy to have believers coming together in unity and glorifying God. And so from the very beginning, he was trying to bring things in there that would cause them to fight amongst themselves and to uh, divide out into different sectarian groups and things. We're going to see that a little bit today. But what we were looking at last uh, the last couple of weeks in Acts chapter number uh, 14 was... Paul and Barnabas, as they went about on their um, on their first missionary journey, their kind of their first preaching tour, as they went through the region of Galatia. Okay, we said last week this is the the region that they would have went through would have been the same region that the book of Galatians was written to. Okay, and we're going to see a little bit of the reason behind the writing of Galatians in the portion that we're looking at today. But it followed Paul and Barnabas as they went from place to place, uh, preaching the gospel and facing opposition. And we'd seen how God is able to direct the steps of his people where he wants them to go if they're willing to be directed. And one of the things that I brought out in that is that a lot of times we fear that we're going to uh, miss God's will or that God's will is somehow hidden and we have to search it out and it's almost like some sort of a scavenger hunt trying to find God's will. But in reality, if we are uh, submitted to him or surrendered to him, he is going to guide our steps and put us where he wants us to be. We saw in Paul and Barnabas' case that he worked through uh, giving them desires, giving them direction, uh, through opening doors, through closing doors, uh, it made it pretty obvious whenever uh, they were at a town that uh, when the people came after them wanting to stone them with stones or wanting to kill them or to expel them from their coast, it made it pretty obvious the door was closed, right? And so they went to the next place. And then whenever they come to the next place, there was people who were willing to listen. The door was open. They would preach the gospel until once again the door closed. And so they went throughout all that region. We saw where uh, Paul was stoned in Lystra and he was left for dead. And all through it, God cared for Paul and Barnabas, cared for his people. And though he could have prevented that from happening, God worked a greater uh, blessing, a greater benefit through that tragedy than if it, he would have skipped over it altogether. At the end, Paul received blessings and benefits from the hardship he went through. 
And that's a lesson for us. We go through difficulty sometimes and hardship sometimes, but that molds and shapes us into the people that we are. Um, not only did it uh, bring blessings to Paul, it also increased the faith of those new believers in the area because they got to see Paul basically shake the stones off, stand up, and continue preaching. If Paul would have quit or if he would have uh, gotten upset, angry, and just threw his hands up in the air and, and left at that time, it would have had a horrible impact upon those new believers. But whenever they saw God working through Paul's life, they were encouraged, they were edified because of it, and it enabled them to continue on. And so we saw that God cares for his people. We saw that we need to not stop because of difficulty. We need to be careful that we don't miss out on the good because of the bad. Uh, too often we focus on the, the negatives and we miss out on so many good things that God has for us because we're too busy being fixated on things that aren't good. Um, then we also saw last week to proclaim God's blessings in order to encourage others. Everywhere that Paul and Barnabas was going, they were telling about what God had been doing in their lives and in their ministry. And the people, as they were hearing these things, they were encouraged. They were excited by it. And so whenever we share the blessings and benefits of serving God with others, it's an encouragement to them. It's going to give them strength for the hardships they go through. It's going to help them to build their faith so that they are able to continue walking with God. Uh, we saw from a ministry perspective that Paul and Barnabas knew that these new believers uh, needed discipleship and encouragement. They didn't just leave them there and say, well, good luck, we're moving on. But they kept coming back and helping them and encouraging them. We're going to find even they come back on a, another missionary journey to come through and see how these churches are doing and to encouraging them that excuse me encouraging them in that way. We see that Paul's writing letters to all these different churches to edify and to encourage them. And so, as believers, we need uh, discipleship. We need encouragement. We need someone who can uh, help us grow in our walk with God. We saw that the church needs leadership. They appointed elders, uh, pastors in every church as they went about uh, because sheep need shepherds. Uh, we saw that uh, we all need God's power and guidance as they were appointing these elders, these shepherds. They didn't just uh, do it through uh, their own wisdom, their own human abilities, but they were seeking God in prayer. They were fasting and they were wanting God's man for each of these places. Um, we saw that the Lord is able to guide and grow whenever Paul got to the place, Paul and Barnabas got to the place that they were ready to move on. It says that they commended them to the Lord. They said, okay, Lord, it's your church. It's up to you to take care of them. It's up to you to guide and to grow them. And so there is a limit in what we can do, but there is no limit to what God can do. We need to trust God. We need to trust his Holy Spirit in the lives of other people, right? Uh, and then we saw the accountability. They went back and updated those in Antioch, and they were refreshed by those in Antioch after they updated. And that's where we left off last week in 28. Uh, they abode a long time with the disciples in Antioch. Okay, So that brings us to chapter number 15. And chapter 15 is a very important chapter. This is a place where the, the early church was in grave danger, okay? If the, the disciples, if the apostles would have uh, 
uh, allowed their prejudices, if they would have went by their own way of doing things, if they would have followed their heart, it could have brought great disaster that would have affected all the way up till today. Because if this would have went a different way in Acts chapter number 15, we probably wouldn't be Christians today. And if we were Christians today, Christianity would look a lot different today than what it does. And so we're going to look at this passage today, uh, starting in Acts chapter 15, verse number 1. It says, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and uh, disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and the elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenix and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it is needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders came together for to consider of this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of God, excuse me, the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that th- through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as they. And all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had uh, held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God uh, at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name, and to this agree the words of the prophets. As it is written, After this I will return and build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not the trouble not them which are from among the Gentiles, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write to them that they abstain from pollutions of idols, and from fornication, and from things strangled, and from blood. And so we'll go ahead and we'll stop there for right now. And so in this passage, the uh, thing that's open for debate here is whether or not God requires the Gentiles to keep the customs and the law of the Jews in order to be saved. And this was a very dangerous thing because at the very beginning, uh, Christianity was mostly a Jewish religion. It started in Jerusalem. It started amongst Jewish people, and it had just recently spread over into the Gentile regions. And so the Jews were very zealous in their law. They were very zealous 
and the fact that it had become part of their culture. It was part of their identity. It was who they were. And so whenever the, the Gentiles began accepting Christ, they had trouble with even allowing them, although they're not the gatekeepers of Christianity, they had trouble allowing them to be considered part of them. They had trouble allowing them to become Christians. And so even Peter, whenever he first went to Cornelius, they came to him and they said, what in the world are you doing? Jesus is our Jesus. Jesus is our religion. Christianity is of the Jews. And Peter explained to them and said, God is the one who led me to do this. And God had his hand upon this from the beginning to the end. He gave him the Holy Spirit, sealed him with the Holy Spirit, so that we can see that God's approval was on it. The Gentiles were saved in the same manner as the Jews were at the beginning. And so they had trouble accepting that. But whenever Peter defended it, they said, okay, well, I guess, I guess we'll be glad that the, the Gentiles can be saved as well. And with that, Gentiles began becoming Christians, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And whenever he got down there, he said, the job's too big for me. He went and got Paul. Paul and Barnabas ministered to the folks at Antioch. The church grew. Uh, they were excited. The Gentiles outnumbered the Jews. And then it came to a point in time where the Holy Spirit said, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I've called them to do. The church at Antioch sends out the first missionaries, Paul and Barnabas. They go through the Gentile regions and first preaching in the synagogues. Some of the Jews believing, but whenever it becomes mostly Gentiles that are interested, the Jews start backing away, right? And so there's this push back and forth between Jews and Gentiles. And the reason why all of this is important is, as far as I know, each and every one of us here today are Gentiles. Right? I don't know of anyone in here today that has any Jewish ancestry. You may have some in there somewhere, but I don't know of any. And so we're Gentiles. We're not Jews. And so if this would have went differently, it would have had great implication on us today. And so what we find here is as Paul and Barnabas are dwelling for a long time there, uh, Acts 14.28, dwelling for a long time in Antioch, that there are Jewish believers that are zealous of the law and of Judaism that come down from Jerusalem to Antioch just to stir the pot, okay? They come down because they think that they know what's best. They think that they know how everybody else should worship and serve the Lord. And so they come down from Jerusalem, and they come into Antioch, and Paul gives us an account of what happens in the book of Galatians, okay? And I think I, I misspoke last week and said that Galatians would have been written uh, further in the future than what it was. Galatians would have been written at this time that Paul was in uh, Antioch with Barnabas dwelling for a long period of time. And so what happened is, as they were there at Antioch, these Peter first came down, and Peter is excited about it, and he's fellowshipping with them, and he is eating with the Gentiles, and the church is in unity in Antioch. But whenever these guys come down from Jerusalem, it says that Peter separated himself from the Gentiles, and there became a division within the, the believers at Antioch, the Jews versus the Gentiles, and that it was so bad that even Barnabas was drawn away, and that Barnabas was separating himself. And Paul says, I withstood them to their face. I withstood Peter to his face because he was to be blamed. And essentially what he tells Peter is, if you are going to treat the Gentiles 
as second-rate Christians or if you're going to hold their Christianity under scrutiny because they don't keep the dietary laws, because they haven't been circumcised, because they haven't been made Jews, then you're at risk of alienating them from God, of completely destroying the church of God. And so he confronts Peter about this. But still, this poison is not so easily run away because the people who came from Antioch or came to Antioch, are saying they have the blessing of the apostles and of the leadership of the Jerusalem church. And so they're coming down and saying the guys up in Jerusalem say this is the way that it's supposed to be, and it becomes almost a he said, she said with Paul and Barnabas and Peter versus these guys that came down claiming the authority of the so-called mother church, right? And so... Rather than squabble it out amongst themselves in Antioch, rather than trying to sort it out there, they come to the decision, we need to go back to Jerusalem and we need to find a solution to this problem. And so let me ask you this, why was it important that they go back to Jerusalem? Why do you think they went back to Jerusalem? Jerusalem is the is your headquarters. Is a seat of government, that's where the government is. And that's that's where the church council is. So okay. this issue, the disagreements as to whether the the Gentiles mm-hmm. need circumcision to be you know ordained into the group of the Jewish uh, uh, people or not, mm-hmm. that is where it has to be settled. Okay. I, I think that's the reason why. Okay. Anybody else have anything? Facts. What is it? Facts and clarification. Facts and clarification. Okay, there's an important thing. There was the apostles there, right? The very ones who walked with God, learned directly from God, and had the gifts of the apostles. They had God's um, seal of approval on their lives, basically. And so if there was a division within the church, if there was a problem there at that time, uh, it would just be wise to take it to them because they should know of all people, right? Okay, anything else? Any other ideas about why it was important for them to go to Jerusalem? Because it was their people coming out of Jerusalem that were causing the division. Very good. That's another very important one is that that's where the troublemakers were coming from. They're going back to the root of the problem. And so essentially they're going back and saying, okay, you came from Jerusalem you are claiming that James, which was the brother of Jesus, the pastor of the Jerusalem church, he says, you're claiming that James has given you this authority and that this is the teachings of the Jerusalem church. So let's go to the root of the problem, right? And so that was important. So it was the where the, the problem came from. It was where the apostles were, right? And now with what Victor said, he, he was talking about there being some sort of a council or a central figure there. And I don't see that, okay? And that's one of the things we're going to be getting into today is a lot of people try to come back and make the Jerusalem church out as if it had some extra authority, how somehow that it was the mother church that was sending out everyone else. But... We find that for the most part, the church that was in Jerusalem was content to sit there and kind of stew on themselves. It was the church at Antioch 
that sent out the first missionaries, right? And so it, we don't find any evidence that God has um, granted authority to any one church over any other churches. That there isn't this idea of there being a hierarchy. Please, I, I okay. Please don't misunderstand me. Okay. Maybe I didn't put this you know, in the appropriate way. Mm-hmm. What I mean okay. in answering your question is that Jerusalem is where you have church council. Mm-hmm. Like in Nigeria, we have mm-hmm. the Nigeria Baptist Convention, mm-hmm. right? And we have Baptist conferences after we have Baptist associations. Mm-hmm. The convention holds its annual general meeting once a year, mm-hmm. and there is a place here marked for that meeting. Mm-hmm. So, what I mean that the Nigerian Baptist Convention have a Nigerian Baptist board, mm-hmm. right? We have the, 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 the officers mm-hmm. appointed during AGM mm-hmm. who oversee the affairs of the convention. Mm-hmm. So, I didn't mean that. The Jerusalem church has authority over other churches. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is where the headquarters of the apostles are. Mm-hmm. So if there's a conflict, such okay. as we have in mm-hmm. this Act 15, mm-hmm. the only place where it can be settled is in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. where the church council will be convened. Okay. I don't know if I... Uh, yeah, okay, yeah, I understood that. But today you have councils, conventions, and whatnot that have... Uh, come together and have, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Constituted themselves, organized themselves, and they have purposes that they have set out and they are formed for those purposes, right? But at this time, there is no record, there is no indicator whatsoever that they have any sort of a, a governing body or a council that has been established. There is no official delegation. There is no uh, council that has been set there. In the Jerusalem church, you have the elder, you have the, the pastor, which is James, the brother of Jesus. But then within that church, you have a lot of the early believers. You have a lot of the ones who were actually associated with Jesus. You have uh, the apostles, a lot of the apostles, the ones that haven't came out of there and went other places. And so you have them there, but it's not in an organized fashion, okay? And the reason I'm clarifying this is that there are those today who use this as a model and say that God has ordained this as a model for there to be some sort of a hierarchy or a governmental head that reigns over and makes the decisions on behalf of all the other churches underneath of them. This is what you have within the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church comes back to this very passage, and they claim that this is the origin of there being a mother church that has an authority to rule in different matters over the body below it, okay? And so this is why I'm parking here for just a minute, is this is something that has been misconstrued over time, saying that this was God's idea that God had set up a mother church, that he had set up a central government, and that everything that goes on uh, under the realm of Christianity comes back to that central head. Now, in other places, if they uh, if they decide for 
practical purposes if they decide for whatever means that they need to have this sort of a hierarchy or this sort of government. Well, that's that's between them, okay? But I don't see that pattern in Scripture, okay? I don't see that pattern in Scripture of there being an authority over the churches because what it does is it places men between God and his church, okay? It complicates God's authority structure, okay? And so we're going to be looking at this a little bit more in depth today, and I'm glad you brought this out because this is one of the things that I want to approach from this passage, okay? Because we don't have a complicated hierarchy. There's not a mother church that we report to. Whenever there are matters that we have that we need sorted out, there's not apostles that exist today. We can't go to Apostle Peter or some apostolic succession and say, okay, this is an apostle. He has special revelation. He has special power. He has a special ability that we don't have. And so let's go to him. We can't go to the mother church and say, well, they're the, the uh, source of this. This is the origin. This is where it all started at. So we're going to go to there. Now, I will say that uh, within church planting and churches starting other churches and whatnot, if there is uh, a church that, say, we, we send somebody out there, someone called to preach, and we send somebody out, and they start a church over in the next town or the next county, then it would, it would be wise for them as a new and just started church to come back and seek uh, wisdom, seek clarification from those who've been at it a little bit longer and for them to uh, be counseling one another in that, but there is not that bondage. There's not that inner working where we're over you and you all report back to us. Okay. We don't find that in scripture. The issue, yeah. the issue over there was about circumcision. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is um, it, would have made, it would have made sense mm-hmm. for, you know, if this was happening in all the Gentile churches, basically, Mm-hmm. And if you go down to Jerusalem where the Jews were, mm-hmm. let's sort this thing out once and for all. Mm-hmm. And let's all sing off the same hymn sheet, basically. Mm-hmm. If you so, um, we can say it that way. Like, you know? Yeah, you're bringing out something really good there because that is kind of the, the center of Jewish Christianity. Okay. That is where the, the Jews are going to be looking to. That's going to be the one that's going to carry the most weight amongst the Jews. And so that kind of goes along with what Sarah said, is that that was where the trouble was coming from. And so it's like, okay, you were having people coming from the Jerusalem church that are going amongst the Gentiles that are causing problems. And if the Jews, because the Jews were still spread amongst these Gentile churches, right? Uh, They were starting with the synagogues. There were Jewish believers and Gentile believers both. We find both those going on in um, Antioch, for instance, Jews and Gentiles both. And so if they're going to uh, placate the Jews, if the Jews are going to be satisfied, they need to hear it from Peter, from James, from Jerusalem to nip this in the bud, okay? And so going back to our different reasons for this, this is where the, the source of the, the problem was, it came from Jerusalem. It's where the apostles were, and they had the authority of God. By the way, this is before Scripture was finished, Okay, because in this, in Acts chapter 14, verse 28, that's where the Paul's epistle to the Gentiles was being written at. 
Okay, in the middle of these two chapters, that's where his epistle to the Gentiles was being written at. And that was one of the earliest epistles. So they didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have God's word to speak into this and to settle this matter. And so they needed to go to the ones that would eventually write the scriptures. And on top of that, they needed to go to the one that was going to carry the weight, as Kev was saying, carry the weight with the ones who was causing the problems, right? Ones that would be respected on both sides. And I think Paul was wise in this in going back to Jerusalem to get this sorted out. But this isn't setting up a model of a hierarchy, okay? This isn't what uh, a lot of religions claim that they are saying that the, the church that was at Jerusalem had authority over all the Gentile churches or that they were the ones that had a special place, a prominent place with God that enabled them to make this decision. Part of it was just a matter of wisdom of going to the one where the source of the problem was, going to the one where the apostles were at, going to the one that was going to have the most influence, right, on all these ones that was below them. Maybe I need to go back and say that. Not the ones that was below them, the ones that followed after. Pastor, please, let, let me draw attention to this two verse four of this chapter 15. Mm -hmm. See, when they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church. Mm -hmm. Do take note of that. They were welcomed by the whole church, including apostles and elders. Mm -hmm. Including apostles and elders. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, identifying hierarchy here. It's not at all. Like Abraham says, the main issue in this chapter thing is mm -hmm. circumcision. Mm -hmm. Whether the Gentiles should and must be circumcised mm -hmm. before they can see mm -hmm. and become the mm -hmm. people of God or not. Mm -hmm. That is the main you know, objective of this passage. Okay. So any other thing is secondary. Mm -hmm. So there's no place stated here that the church in Jerusalem is superior to every other church mm -hmm. in the whole region. Mm -hmm. It's just that when you have a conflict that we have, that we have in here, mm -hmm. there was a conflict also somewhere in the Apostle where the Christian Jews, mm -hmm. where there was, you know, uh, issue of the guy distribution of food materials, and the Christian Jews were murmuring against the Hellenist Jews. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the Apostle said, we will not abandon the main thing and go after the table. Mm -hmm. And they chose seven uh, uh, men through the Spirit. Mm -hmm. I will know how that issue was settled. Mm -hmm. So conflict was always there. Mm -hmm. Right from Act 1 to the last chapter in Act. So there's not where to state that there's an issue of hierarchy here. The issue in contention is the issue regarding circumcision or no circumcision. So we, we need to catch or graft the, the mid eight, so. mm -hmm. Okay, well, and it's not just circumcision, it's circumcision and the keeping of the law. And they specifically mentioned that in there, uh, whether or not they should, okay, verse number five, that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them that they keep the law. So it was the entirety of the law, okay? And so the question at hand in this, that they, the reason they came to these people was, do the Gentiles have to essentially become Jews in order to become Christian? And we see clearly that they don't, okay? But 
the idea of the hierarchy is here as well. It's dealt with here as well because people down throughout the centuries have used this passage to teach such. And so we have to examine that as well and see if it has merit. You brought out the pointing of the the deacons, pointing out of the seven back earlier in Acts whenever there was contention within the church, uh, and it was the Jerusalem church. It was a church at one place. There's no hierarchy there, but they came to the apostles just as if there was an issue within the church. The, the believers would come to the pastor of the church, and they would say, hey, there is a division that's developing. There's an issue that's developing. How do we take care of this? And then they would have to look and say, okay, let's pray about it. Let's look at Scripture. Let's find out how to go about this. The apostles told them, uh, we need to appoint seven men, gave the qualifications that can take care of this matter. And it says that the saying pleased the whole church, pleased all of them. And he says, select out, or the, the apostle said, select out seven men. The church selected out the seven men. They laid their hands on them. They installed them into that office and said, okay, these men are going to be overseeing the physical needs of the church while the apostles and the leadership of the church was overseeing the spiritual needs of the church, right? And that was still all within one church, okay? But now as we're in Acts chapter 15, we're seeing multiple churches that are involved, and this is giving us an idea of how to work through problems, how to work through issues. Yes, the primary issue is dealing with whether or not the Gentiles have to keep the law and be circumcised. But there are also other things at play. How did they solve this problem to keep the church intact or the churches intact without it becoming just a, without Christianity just becoming a, uh, a Jewish sect or another religion? How did they go about doing that? And what we see in this is that they have made the decision after they couldn't come to a conclusion there at Antioch. After this side says, we say that they have to become Jews, and Paul says, no, God has accepted them by grace through faith, and they say, okay, there's no way that we're going to be able to solve this unless we take this to someone that you hold as an authority. And so I guess the big question in this is who was the authority at Jerusalem? But Anna? The apostles were the authority. Okay? The apostles were the authority. That's why they went back to Jerusalem. It wasn't a hierarchy other than the one that God put in place saying, I'm going to uh, put apostles, apostle means sent one, I'm going to deputize these men to speak on my behalf. I'm going to give them the signs and wonders that confirm that they're apostles so that they are able to record my scripture and so that they can be the foundation of the church of God. The Bible says in other places that the apostles are the foundation. They are the, the block work, so to speak, that has been laid up that the church was built on, and Jesus is the chief and cornerstone of that, right? And so they're going back, and the authority derived there is of the apostles. And the reason I'm bringing that out is today the authority that is derived in the church is still of the apostles. It's of their writings, of what Paul has given us through them. And so we're not going back and saying, okay, we need to find someone 
who has a greater authority, or we need to bring together a delegation or bring together some sort of a governing body in order to sort all this out, we need to come back to the Word of God. We need to see what it has to say. Okay? And I don't want to get bogged down here too long. I know we've been here for a while already. But as we go through this passage, uh, I've already got ahead. Let me, let me go back just a little bit. They made the decision to go to Jerusalem because it was a matter of salvation. Verse number one, they said, unless you do these things, you can't be saved. They are desiring to add works to salvation. They're trying to complicate what God has made simple. And so they said, we believe that you have to be circumcised. We believe you have to keep the law in order to either obtain salvation or to keep your salvation. We can all see why that would be dangerous, right? And we can also see that down throughout time, this has persisted. People are still demanding to be able to do some sort of works or to be able to keep some sort of uh, legal code in order for them to be saved or to be accepted by God, right? And so anyway, it says, verse 2, they had no small dissension and disputation with them. And so Paul and Barnabas determined that they and the certain other men were going to go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and the elders about this question. They said, we need the apostles because they've got the authority of God. We need the elders because they are the shepherds over the Jewish believers who have left Jerusalem and came down to this place, right? Not because they held some special office, but we need to go to the right source to sort all this out. So these ones that were coming down from Jerusalem were answerable unto James, right? And all of them were answerable unto the apostles, okay? And so as they were going back, it seems that Peter either left earlier or he went on a more direct route. Paul and Barnabas are going back through all of these uh, churches which they have started. They're going back by all these different believers and telling them about all of the folks that have been saved throughout the region of Galatia. And what is the response as they are telling about these things? What is the response of the people in these churches as they're going back and giving an update of all the great works that God is doing? What is it? Joy. joy. Verse number three, great joy unto all the brethren, right? I'm bringing this out for a purpose. Verse number four, when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and the elders, and they declared all the things that God had done with them. What was their reception like in Jerusalem? We don't see any. There was great joy over the things that God was doing amongst the Gentiles. We say that they, they received them amongst themselves, right? Like, oh, okay, it's Paul and Barnabas again. Here comes trouble, right? And as they're declaring all the things that God had done through them, the response in verse 5, But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. 
So there is a great number of them. As soon as they hear that the Gentiles are being saved, the Gentiles are believing, they stand up in the church that's in Jerusalem and they say, but that's not possible. But that's not right because they can't be saved unless they keep the law. And so now there is contention in the meeting. There is not joy. There's not excitement because there is prejudice. There is turmoil, right? And so in verse six, it says they came together to consider this matter. Now, this is wise. They said, okay, we need to talk about this. We need to explore this. We need to get better understanding of this issue because it becomes very apparent here in the excuse me in the Jerusalem church that it is Jew versus Gentile and the Bible tells us clearly that in Christ there is neither bond nor free Jew nor Greek that we are all one in Christ and this is the danger it's coming to a head which shows us they went the right avenue here they went to the source of the problem right and I think that's one of the keys here is that it was the source of the problem and it was the best place that they could work this problem out, go to the source. You ever try to work out a problem and not go to the source? You keep fighting all the little fires that crop out around it, and you ignore the big fire in the middle? And so rather than trying to put out the fire in all of the Gentile churches, every time that a Jew would come from Jerusalem and try to force them into Judaism, he says, we need to sort this out. We need to answer this once and for all so that we can have... Uh, we can have writings from the Jewish church that's saying this is what we're teaching, this is what we believe, and it is the same as Paul and Barnabas. It's the same all throughout. And so it's going to really take any kind of ability that these false teachers would have to corrupt the people. It's going to take them away. It's going to yank the rug out from underneath them, so to speak. And so that's what they're doing here. And so as Paul and Barnabas are here, with a little bit of wisdom, they refrain themselves a little bit. They're not going to be the first ones to speak up, but Peter is the first one to speak up. And to set the tone a little bit, this church would have been primarily Jewish. We've, ex we've established that, right? They're going to have a leaning toward this idea of being circumcised and keeping the law because most of the Jews, even though they were believers, still tried to keep the law, still tried to do all of these different things. And so that was something that they grew up with. That was something that they'd been exposed to. That was something that was just normal to them. It was cultural to them. And even after they were saved, they continued to keep it, right? And so Paul and Barnabas, as they're coming here, they're expecting an uphill battle. Paul has already had to withstand Peter to the face over this very issue. And so when Peter stands up and, excuse me, begins to speak, I imagine that Paul and Barnabas are nervous. What is Peter going to say? Because he is one that is prone to buckle under pressure. Remember him denying Jesus three times? And then whenever he was down in Antioch, whenever they came from Jerusalem, he was quick to fall into hypocrisy and try to people please. And now he is standing before the elders and he's standing before the apostles. What is Peter going to say? And so Peter goes back 
And he says, you know, you understand that I have been chosen of God. I've been given the authority. I've been sealed. I am the apostle to the Jews. But in addition to that, God has chosen me. He sent me to the Gentiles. This is something you're well aware of. You're aware of the conversion of Cornelius, his household, and the fact that God gave them the Holy Spirit without being uh, circumcised, without keeping the law, without any of these things that you're trying to do, that God accepted them as they were back then. You're aware of that. This is old news, okay? And so this is what he's saying in this passage. Verse 9 says, And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. It wasn't the circumcision, it wasn't the keeping of the law, but it was the faith that purified their hearts, right? And so in verse number 10, he says, Now therefore, why tempt ye God? That's a pretty steep accusation, right? He says, what you are attempting to do is tempting, uh, tempting God. Essentially, this is an attack on God himself if you continue to pervert his salvation, right? Now, wherefore, why, or excuse me, now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? He says, you're trying to get them to do something that none of us have been able to do. That would sound pretty dumb, wouldn't it? None of us were able to keep the law, so why do you expect them to do it? But verse number 11 brings it all together. But we believe, Peter speaking as an apostle, as a representative of the believers at that time, but we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Salvation is the same for Jew or Gentile. Your keeping of the law, your circumcision didn't save you. It won't save them. It takes the blood of Jesus. In verse number 12, then all the multitude kept silence. There was tension in the room, right? Everyone was keeping silence. We kind of understand that this morning, don't we? Okay, so there was tension in the room. Everyone was keeping silence. They're waiting to see what's going to befall of all these things that is happening. And now Paul and Barnabas speak up. So Peter goes back and he says, you know what God has done through his apostles. We have record of that. Now Paul and Barnabas speaks up and it says, uh, they declared the miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And so now we have all of the workings of God through what the apostles had started and what the apostles had taught and that their teaching, that their way of doing things was true, was, was accurate, was endorsed by God, had his seal of approval on it. They could not dispute the fact that God had been in the salvation of the Gentiles. And so the last thing that we come to here Verse 13, after they had held their peace, James answering or answered said, men and brethren, hearken unto me. Now, the reason why James is the one speaking, he is the pastor at the church at Jerusalem. As I said, he is the brother of Jesus. He's one of the ones that refused to believe until after the resurrection. And James is known as being 
very, uh, very committed to Judaism. Okay, he was preaching the gospel. He was uh, pastoring the church, but he was pastoring a Jewish church, and in that he kept the dietary laws. In that he kept all of these other things because of uh, of where he was ministering at. He was very much connected to that culture. And so whenever James stands up here, Paul is probably really nervous saying, okay, James is very strict in his law keeping, even though he is a Jew, or even though he is a Christian, even though he is a pastor at a church, he is very strict. He has very high convictions and standards in his life. What is he going to say about this? And so James points them to Scripture. And this is where the authority does lie. This is where it should have came back to. And he points them to a passage in Amos that is talking about how God is going to save the Gentiles. Now, there are many passages in the Old Testament that point to the Gentiles coming to Christ, coming to the Messiah, but he doesn't choose a lot of those passages, but instead he chooses this one because it keeps in place the importance of the Jews, that God is not done with the Jews, that in the end that God is going to bring the Jews to himself and the Gentiles both together. And so in a way, this is going to satisfy or placate the Jews that want to see the Gentiles keeping the law and being circumcised, okay? And so at the end of this, after he provides scriptural proof for his position, in verse number 19, he says, wherefore my sentence is. He says, this is what I have to say about the matter as the pastor of the church at Jerusalem, as the pastor of the of the, the Jewish believers, of the pastor of the one who is coming down and causing problems in the Gentile churches, he says, I say that we don't trouble them with these things. Um, it says we trouble them not, or trouble not them, which are from among the Gentiles and are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollution of idols, from fornication, from things strangled, and from blood. Okay? So four things he gives them here. And this is a diplomatic answer. This isn't him having the authority, having the law. He's saying, as we're trying to hold together the Jews and the Gentiles, keep the unity of the believers, not alienate the, the Gentiles, not offend the Jews. He says these are some important things that would be easy for the Gentiles to keep so that the Jews can be satisfied. It's a diplomatic answer. And it's a non-binding answer. Y'all realize that? See, if this was a if this was a council, if this had the authority of God and this was uh, his sealed word and it could not be uh, it could not be violated, then we've got a problem with Apostle Paul. You know that? Because Paul later in his writings doesn't tell them to abstain from the things that are offered to idols. Y'all remember that? And instead, he says for us to 
seek not to offend one another in conscience. So his instruction, I can't remember if it's in the Romans or Corinthians, I think it's in Corinthians, is he tells them, don't even ask where the meat comes from for conscience sake. If someone sets it before you, eat it. But if they reveal to you that it's been offered to an idol, then don't eat it because they revealed it for a reason. It's an issue with them. And so don't be a stumbling block to them. Okay? So Paul is taking a different position than what James says in this because it wasn't a legally binding uh, command from an authority, but instead this was their solution to the problem at that time that James, as the pastor of the Jews that were causing the problem, he says if the Gentiles could just do these four things, the Jews will be happy, the Gentiles will be happy, and we can move on. Right? And so the four things he says, abstain from pollution of idols. That would have been a huge stumbling block for the Jews. The Jews wouldn't be able to accept the Gentiles because the Gentiles are coming out of idolatry. And if they see any pagan practices amongst the Gentiles, even though they are new believers, even though they are still trying to grow in their faith, this is going to be a huge stumbling block for the Jews. So stay away from idols. And that would include eating the things offered to idols, going around the temples, doing any of the festivals. Stay away from pollution of idols. Um, from fornication, that's sexual sin, that was often associated with idol worship. In these pagan cultures, uh, fornication, sexual sin, was just part of everyday life. Uh, then he says, from things strangled and from blood. These were very important things to the Jews because the life of the flesh is in the blood and they would not eat anything that contained blood. The reason why I says from things strangled is if you strangle an animal, it doesn't bleed out. The blood stays in the meat. Okay? And so all these things were very offensive to the Jews. So he says, just stay away from these things that are offensive to the Jews and you'll be okay. Doesn't mean that these are the only things that the Gentiles had to do if they just uh, stay away from pollution of idols, from things strangled, from uh, blood, and from fornication. They're good. It's okay if they murder, they steal. They're... That's not what he's saying. But this is where it's to placate the Jews. This is where it is to uh, mend this rift that's between them because everyone knew that there were going to be certain moral things that would be required of them. We find as the, the Bible unfolds, there are plenty of commands to us as Jews. There's plenty of things that it says are good and that are not good. But he says, for the time being in these churches, do these four things so that you don't offend the Jews and the Holy Spirit and the working of the word, the ministry of the word as it is preached and proclaimed among you is going to do the work in you that needs to be done. We don't have to implement this entire system of rules and regulations and laws upon you whenever God in his working through his word is going to bring you to the place that he wants you to be in. Okay? And so this is the whole purpose of this, this meeting is to take care of this problem before it destroys the church. It does not give us a, a hierarchy, but it does give us some insights in how to take care of the problem. You need to go to the source of the problem. You need to go to someone that, that both parties are going to respect and listen to, right? You know, if, if me and Peter have a falling out, 
if we got a problem between each other, okay? Then if we go to someone to help us work through and to mediate the problem, and it's Peter's best friend, am I going to be real excited about this? I'm going to say there's a little bit of a bias here, right? Or if I go, or if, if we do this and I say, hey, I've got someone that can mediate. And he says, but wait a minute, this is, you know, you're just stacking the deck, right? Are we going to be able to work through the problem? We need to find someone that both of us respects to help guide us through the problem. And that's what they did in Jerusalem because there was respect unto the apostles and unto the elders that were at Jerusalem, and they came together to get this fixed. They consulted with the scripture. They took a look at what God had done, the pattern that he had set. They took a look at the fruit of what was going on, and they were able to discern God's will and God's plan. And as a result, we are not required to be circumcised and keep the dietary laws and all the restrictions. We are not forced to do all of that, because they discerned rightfully here that that wasn't part of God's plan and program, okay? And so at the end of all of this, in the part that I didn't read, they get a, uh, a delegation together. They get a few men that they can send, through, or send from Jerusalem. They write up a letter and say, we met together, we discussed this problem, we came to a consensus. All of us were in one accord. All of us were in agreement. And these men who came down and caused problems, if you look here at verse 24, for as much as we heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and to keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. Okay, it seemed good for us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. This is the letter. They said, we understand that there were people that claimed to have authority from us that didn't. They taught false teachings to you that didn't come from us. It troubled you. It caused problems. We met together. We discussed these things, and we have came to a conclusion. We have come to a consensus. We are all in agreement. And so we have sent you this letter outlining what God requires for a Gentile to be saved, requires faith in Jesus Christ. We ask you for the sake of keeping the peace that you do these four things to keep from offending the Jews. And if you do these things, you shall do well. In addition, what I read there a moment ago, we sent chosen men, people that were able to speak, because if Barnabas and Paul came and they said, hey, we fixed the problem, we went up, we asked them about it, and they said, you don't have to be circumcised or keep the law. They said, well, that's what you've been saying all along. How do we know you didn't make that up? Well, they brought other men with them and said, yeah, this is how everything went down. They brought witnesses, right? They brought the letter. And in that letter, it, it talks about how Paul and Barnabas are beloved of the, the brethren in Jerusalem, right? And so it's proving, it's showing there isn't contention, there isn't division, it's not us versus them. And so they sent this letter to them, and the Gentiles received it with gladness, 
Verse number 31, when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. The Gentiles were relieved. They were glad that the Christianity that they believed upon was still the truth and they weren't having to pile more stuff on top of it, okay? And then um, it says that Paul and Barnabas continued in Antioch teaching and preaching the words of the Lord with many others also. It also talks about uh, Paul and Silas, also, or not Silas, Judas and Silas preaching and encouraging the brethren also. And so through all this passage, it is them working through this issue that could potentially split the church, that could potentially cause great division amongst the believers, and it didn't do it because it was handled well, okay? And so some takeaways from this today. Um, let me get my thoughts together for a second. Some takeaways from this this today is whenever there are problems that arise, they need to be taken care of the right way. They need to be taken care of quickly. Uh, another thing that we bring from this is the fact that we are saved by grace through faith, nothing else. God doesn't require works, law-keeping, all these other things to be added on top of it. But man has a tendency to try to heap other things on top of it. Another thing that we can bring from this is we have to be careful that we don't take our culture and make it a requirement for Christianity. Okay? And I haven't really touched on this one too much, but that was the issue with the Jews at this time. It was their culture. It wasn't God said this. It was that we have allowed this to be our identity. This is what we believe God wants for us, and so we believe that God wants it for everybody else too. And this is a big issue as... Uh, cultures collide with one another and they say, well, the way that it was done in America is the way that it has to be done in Ireland. The way that it was done in Ireland is the way that it has to be done in France, the way that was, you know, and so forth and so on. And they start looking at it, taking extra biblical things and trying to make it a requirement for salvation and for fellowship. Now, notice I said extra biblical. Okay. We need to stand firm on the Bible, but whenever we start adding things to this book as a requirement for someone to either be saved or to be in good standing with God, we are, uh, what was it that Paul said there? Um, we are tempting God, right? We are troubling, we are subverting souls. We need to be careful that the things that we are teaching, the things that we are preaching, the things that we are expecting of others are biblical and not just preference, and not just culture, okay? Um, let me see. One last thing that I'll point out in this, and I'll be done. Just stir the pot slightly here. Uh, the Jews were so intent upon their law-keeping, upon their rules, and all these different things there in Jerusalem that they had lost any kind of joy in the fact that people were getting saved. That was one thing I was pointing out as I was reading this. As Paul and Barnabas were going back through and updating all the churches, they were receiving it with great joy. They were excited the gospel was going out, that the church was growing. They came back to Jerusalem and they said, we can't be happy about it because it's not the way we want it to be. 
It doesn't suit our ideas of the way it should be happening. And so unless they are doing it the exact way we think they should, we can't be happy about it. We can't celebrate about it. And there was a, a deadness about it, wasn't there? We need to not lose sight of the fact that God is seeking to save lost people and not get so hung up on our preferences, on our way of doing things, that we can't still celebrate whenever God is working, even if his working may not fit our formula, right? So with that being said, does anyone have anything else today? I know we've been a little bit of everywhere, but... I think I need to make connection between the, the, this one and uh, when uh, James stood up and and give the the, the 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 condition if they said instead of lack of words mm -hmm. in this one it says certain men come down mm -hmm. certain. Mm -hmm. So, but James says after he give the four uh, mm -hmm. conditions that they have to take with them to, to the Gentiles, mm -hmm. he seems to point like he knew these people. Yeah, he did. Because they came from them. If you look at verse number... Verse number 24... For as, much, for as much as we have heard, that certain which went out from us. Yes, that's the best Okay, so they went out from the church at Jerusalem, and they made it their mission not to spread the gospel, but to spread their version of Christianity and try to bring the Gentiles under it. And so he said they came out from us, with a wrong message, with wrong motives, and caused you problems. And I'm just letting you know, even though they came out from us, they didn't come with our authority. They didn't come with our message. Uh, instead, they came of their own accord. And so this, to correct what they have told you wrong, this is actually our position on the matter. So in a way, it'd be like, you going to another believer that doesn't attend church here and you going and telling them that what they believe and what they are doing is wrong and you trying to put words into my mouth, you trying to add to the Bible and saying, in order for you to be a Christian, you need to do these things too. This is the way that we do it back here. And then they're coming back to me and me saying, I never taught that. That's not in the Bible. Don't pay attention to them. They don't know what they're talking about. Does that make sense? Yeah. It seems like this this issue was big in that church. Because oh, it would have been, yes. Yeah, it would have been big because it, it shows the, the, the division that they have in, in, in a certain way. Some, okay, we, we are just talking about things this man went down to Gentile and tell them they need to be circumcised and whatever before mm -hmm. they become Christian. Mm -hmm. But again, I don't think it was only that in that church, they have to be so much was going on which it wasn't revealed to the mm -hmm. point where 
even James admit that we know these people. Mm -hmm. So I think. Well, the the a lot of research. To the church at Jerusalem would have been huge. Yeah. The church that that was at Jerusalem would have been tens of thousands of people, and so he wouldn't know each of them individually. But the reports are coming back, and Paul is coming to to James, and he's saying, "Hey, this guy came from your church and claimed the authority of the elders and the apostles in teaching this, and Jesus never taught this. This was never of God." And James is like, "Oh, I got a problem. I need to take care of that." You know. Uh, going back to what I was saying with the book of Galatians, Galatians was written in between these these periods. It was written between Acts 14 and Acts 15, and Paul was trying to do some damage control throughout all these churches because these guys weren't content to just have their version of Christianity in Jerusalem. They wanted to spread it everywhere, okay? And so they were going behind Paul and intentionally causing strife and problems everywhere that Paul went. And so whenever Paul wrote the, the epistle to the Galatians, it wasn't just to one church. It was to all of those churches in the region because all of them had had false teachers come amongst them to try to uh, add to what they had originally believed, add to what Paul had taught. And essentially they were coming and saying, Paul only told you part of the story. If you really want to be a Christian, if you really want to follow him, then you've got to do all of these things too. And so Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This is only what I learn of you. Received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? Right? And so this was the message that was going throughout the region of Galatia to the Gentiles is it's not really faith that saves you. It is all these works that save you. And Paul says, whoa, wait a minute. You were saved by faith, not by the works. You received the Holy Spirit by faith, not by works. So why is it now all of a sudden you were trying to bring all these things and all these conditions on top of that? And he is reasoning with them to try to undo all this, but his heart is yearning and uh, aching so much for these Gentile believers that he says, I have to fix this problem. And so he goes to the to the root source. He says, we've got to get this nailed down now. We can't let this go for generations because what effect would it have on the believers, right? And even after it was nailed down, look at how many people today are still trying to go about by the same thing that was being taught back then, trying to be saved by their works and by their law-keeping, right? Okay, so did I answer your question, Peter? Okay, yeah. I went far beyond it, but, you know. Okay, anything else? Okay, if there's nothing else, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll, we'll take a short break. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. We do thank you for this, this time, Lord, in your... Uh, in your house and in your word. And we just ask you, Lord, that you would uh, just be with us here today, that you would guide and direct our thoughts and our hearts, our minds. Help us, Lord, in these things that uh, uh, we have studied, Lord. Help us see the importance of uh, sorting out problems and difficulties quickly, Lord. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, just to uh, keep coming back to the truth of your word as our authority 
And Lord, we just thank you so much for all that you do. I ask you to continue to be with our time, our fellowship, and be with our next service. Lord, and all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.